Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. We currently have puppies all around us. Sorry. (laughs) And they're just so interested. Buddy. Buddy, no. He's he's eating my flowers. Hold on. Okay, false alarm. He was actually just sniffing them, making it look like he was eating them. So that's good. False alarm, right? And what did you say? He's smelling them. You said, he's smelling the flowers. Girl. You got some sun today. Look at me. I think that was over the weekend. But look at me. Holy, mo- you got pink. I got some sunburn. Ungrown got some sunburn. You got sunburn. We're just a sunburny fam bam. No wonder I have blush. <laughs> Did you think that you had blush? No. Ah, Jesus. Sorry. You okay. Took away my warm spot on my oh, blanket. shoot. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. We are listening to, or you're listening to, I'm reading, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Book the Second, The Reptile Room, Chapter 7. My, 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 said a voice from behind them, and the Baudelaire orphans turned to find Stefano standing there in the black suitcase, wait, the black suitcase with the shiny silver padlock on his, in his hands, and a look of mag, of Oh my gosh, how come I'm having a hard time today? A look of Brum Magum. Okay, because that's a weird word. A surprise in his face. Brum Magum is such a rare word for fake that even Klaus didn't even know what it meant. But the children did not have to be told that Stefano was pretending to be surprised. What a terrible accident that happened here. Snakebite, whoever discovered this... Whoever discovers this will be most upset. <gasps> you, Violet began to say, but her throat fluttered as if her f- the fact that her uncle Monty's death were found, were m- uncle Monty's death were food that tasted terrible. You, she said again. Stefano took no notice. Of course, after they discover that Dr. Montgomery is dead, they'll wonder what became of those repulsive orphans he had lying around the house. But they'll be long gone. Speaking of which, it's time to leave. The Prospero sails at five o'clock from Hazy Harbor, and I'd like to be the first passengers aboard. That way, I'll have time for a bottle of wine before lunch. A bottle of wine? Holy moly. How could you? Klaus whispered hoarsely. Like this, how could you? He couldn't take his eyes off of Uncle Monty's pale, pale face. How could you do this? How could you murder him? Why, Klaus, I'm surprised, Stefano said, and walked over to Uncle Monty's body. A smarty-pants boy like you should be able to figure out that your chubby old uncle died from a snake bite, not a murder. Look at those teeth marks. Look at his pale, pale face. Look at those staring eyes. Yep, that's true. Stop it, Violet said. Don't talk like that. You're right, Stefano said. There's no time for chit-chat. We have a ship to catch. Let's get a move on it.
We're not going anywhere with you, Klaus said. His face was pinched with the effort of focusing on the pre Oh, on the predicament rather than not, not going to pieces. We will stay here until the police come. And how do you suppose that the police will know to come, said Stefano. We will call them, said Klaus, in what he hoped was a firm tone voice began to walk towards the door. Stefano dropped his suitcase, the shiny silver padlock making a clattering sound as it hit the marble floor. He took a few, a f- you know what? Hold on. Let me let him out. Cause he's going to make more noise. Sorry guys. Okay. I'm going to change the podcast name to reading with dogs because of how often we have to stop and put the dogs away or take the dogs out or do something or hear them walking in the background. My goodness. Huh? Peyton. All right. Back to the story. Uh, clattering sound as it hit the marble floor. He took a few steps and blocked Klaus's way, his eyes wide with red and fury. I am so tired, Stefano snarled, at having to explain everything to you. You're supposed to be so very smart, and yet you always seem to forget about this. He reached into his pocket and pulled out that jagged knife. This is my knife. It is very sharp and very eager to hurt you. Almost as eager as I am, but... If you don't do what I say, you will suffer bodily harm. Is that clear enough for you? Now get in the damn Jeep. Holy cow, we said damn. Oh my gosh. Sorry, guys. Dang Jeep. It is, as you know, very, very rude and unusually unnecessary to use profanity. Profanity means bad word. But the Baudelaire orphans were too terrified to point out this to Stefano. Taking a last look at poor Uncle Monty, the three children followed Stefano to the door of the reptile room to get into the damn Jeep. Oh my gosh. To, to add insult to injury, a phrase which means forcing somebody to do an unpleasant task when they're already very upset. Stefano forced Violet to carry his suitcase out of the house, but she was too lost in her own thoughts to care. She was remembering the last conversation that he, she and her siblings had had, with Uncle Monty, and thinking with a cold rush of shame that it hadn't really been a conversation at all. You will recall, of course, that the ride home from the zombie in the snow, the children had been so worried about Stefano that they hadn't even heard a word Uncle Monty, hadn't said a word to Uncle Monty, and that when the jeep arrived to the house, the Baudelaire orphans had dashed upstairs to hash out the situation even without saying goodnight to the man who now lie dead under a sheet of a reptile in a reptile room. As the youngsters reached the Jeep, Violet turned to remember or tried to remember that if they had even thanked him for taking them to the movies, but the night was all a blur. She thought that she, Klaus, and Sonny had probably said thank you, Uncle Monty, when they were standing together at the ticket booth, but she couldn't be sure. Stefano opened the door of the Jeep and gestured with his knife, ushering Klaus and Sonny into the tiny back seat. Violet, the black suitcase, the black heavy suitcase on her lap, on the front seat beside him. The orphans had a brief had brief hope that an engine would not start when Stefano turned the key in the engine, but this was a futile hope. Uncle Monty took good care of his Jeep and it started right up. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny looked behind them 
at Stefano and he began to drive alongside the snake-shaped hedges. At the sight of the reptile room, which Uncle Monty had filled so carefully with his specimens and in he was in which he was now sort of specimen himself. The weight of the Baudelaire's despair was too much for them, and they quietly began to cry. It is a curious thing, the death of the loved one. We all know that our time in this world is limited and that even eventually all of us will end up underneath some sheet, never to wake up. And yet, it is always a surprise when it happens to someone we know. It's like walking upstairs to your bedroom in the dark and thinking there is one more stair than there is. Your foot falls down through the air and there is a sickly moment of dark surprise as you try to readjust the way you thought of things. But the Baudelaire orphans were crying not only for their Uncle Monty, but for their own parents and this dark and curious feeling of falling that accompanies any great loss. What was to happen to them? Stefano had heartlessly slaughtered the man who was supposed to be watching over the Baudelaire's, and now they were all alone. What would Stefano do to them? He was supposed to be left behind when they went to Peru, and now he would be leaving with them on a Prospero. On the Prospero. That was the ship, you guys. And what terrible things would happen in Peru? Would anybody rescue them? Would Stefano get his hands on the fortune? And what would happen to the three children afterwards? These are frightening questions, and if you think about such matters, they require your full attention. And the orphans were so immersed in thinking about them that they didn't even realize that Stefano was about to collide into another automobile until the moment of impact. There was a horrible, tearing sound of metal and glass as the black car crashed into Uncle Monty's Jeep, throwing the children to the floor with a jarring thump that felt like it left the Baudelaire's stomach on the seat. The black suitcase lurched into Violet's shoulder and forward into the windshield, which immediately cracked into a dozen places so it looked like a spiderweb. Stefano gave a cry of surprise and then turned the steering wheel this way and that, but the two vehicles were locked, were locked together and with another thump, veered off of the road in a small pile of mud. This is a rare occurrence when a car accident can be called a stroke of good fortune, but that was most certainly the case here. With that snake-shaped hedge still clearly visible behind them, the Baudelaire's journey towards Hazy Harbor had stopped. Stefano gave another sharp cry, this one of rage. Blasted furnaces of hell, he shouted as he rubbed as as Violet rubbed her shoulder to make sure it wasn't seriously hurt. Klaus and Sonny got up cautiously from the jeep floor and looked out of the cracked windshield. There appeared to be only one person in the car, but it was hard to tell if that the vehicle had, cl had clearly suffered much more damage than Monty's jeep. Its entire front pleated itself together like an accordion, and one hubcap was spinning noisily on the pavement of lousy lane, making blurry circles as if it were a giant coin somebody had dropped. The driver was dressed in gray and making a rough hacking sound. And as he opened the, opened the crumbled door to the car, struggling his way out, he made the hacking sound again and reached into his pocket of his suit and pulled out a white handkerchief. It's Mr. Poe, Klaus cried. It was Mr. Poe, coughing away as usual. And the children were so delighted to see him that they found themselves smiling despite their horrible circumstances. 
Mr. Poe, Mr. Poe, cried Violet, reaching, reaching for Stefano's suitcase to open the passenger door. Stefano reached out an arm and grabbed her sore shoulder, turning his head so slowly that each child saw his eyes. This changes nothing, he hissed at them. This is a bit of luck for you, but this is, this is your last. The three of you will be back in this car and with me heading to Hazy Harbor in the time to catch the Prospero, I promise you. Oh, we'll see about that, Violet replied, opening the door and sliding out from beneath the suitcase. Klaus opened his door and followed her, carrying Sunny. Mr. Poe, Mr. Poe! Violet? Mr. Poe asked. Violet Baudelaire, is that you? Yes, Mr. Poe, Violet said. It's all of us, and we're so grateful you ran into us like this. Well, I wouldn't say that, Mr. Poe said. This is clearly the other driver's fault. You ran into me. How dare you, shouted Stefano. And he got out of the car himself, wrinkling his nose and the smell of horseradish that filled the air. He stomped over to where Mr. Poe was standing, but halfway there, the children saw his face change from one of pure rage to one of (laughs) Brummigan confusion and sadness. I'm sorry, he said in a high, fluttery voice. This whole thing is my fault. I am so distressed by what has happened that I wasn't paying any attention to the rules of the road. I hope you're not hurt, Mr. Foe. It's Poe, said Mr. Poe. My name is Poe, and I'm not hurt. Luckily, it looks like nobody was hurt. I wish that the same could be said for my car. But who are you, and what are you doing with the Baudelaire children? I'll tell you who he is, Klaus said. He's, please, Klaus, Mr. Poe, admonished a word here, which means reprimanded Klaus for, even though he was interrupting for a very good reason. It's not polite to interrupt. My name is Stefano. said shaking Mr. Poe's hand I am I mean I was Dr. Montgomery's assistant what do you mean was Mr. Poe asked sternly were you fired no Miss Dr. Montgomery oh excuse me Stefano turned away and pretended to dab his eyes as if he were too sad to continue facing away from Mr. Poe he gave the orphans a big wink before continuing I'm so sorry to tell you that there's been a horrible accident, Mr. Doe. Dr. Montgomery is dead. Poe, Mr. Poe said. He's dead? That's terrible. What happened? I don't know, Stefano said. It looks like a snake bite to me, but I don't know anything about snakes. That's why I was going into town to get a doctor. The children seemed too upset to be left alone. He's not taking us to the doctor, Klaus said. He's taking us to Peru. You see what I mean, Stefano said to Mr. Poe, patting Klaus's head. The children are obviously distressed that Dr. Montgomery was going to be taking them to Peru today. Yes, I know, Mr. Poe said. That's why I'm hurrying over there this morning to finally bring them their luggage. Klaus, I know you're confused and upset over the accident, but please try to understand that if Dr. Montgomery is really dead, the expedition is canceled. But Mr. Poe, Klaus said, Klaus said indignantly, Please, Mr. Poe said, this is a matter for adults to discuss, Klaus. Clearly, a doctor needs to be called. Well, why don't you just drive up to the house, Stefano said, and I'll take the children to find a doctor. Jose, Sonny shrieked, which probably meant something like, no way. Why don't we all go to the house, Mr. Poe said, and call for a doctor. Stefano blinked for a second, and his face grew 
angry again before he was able to calm himself and answer smoothly. Of course, he said. I should have called earlier. Obviously, I am not thinking as clearly as you. Here, children, get back into the jeep and Mr. Poe will follow us. We're not getting it back to the car with you, Klaus said firmly. Please, Klaus, said Mr. Poe, trying to understand. There's been a serious accident and all other discussions will have to be put aside. The only trouble is, I'm not sure that my car will start. It's very smashed up. I'll try the engine, Stefano said. Mr. Poe nodded and walked back to his car. He sat in the driver's seat and turned the key. The engine made a rough, wet noise. It sounded quite a bit like Mr. Poe's cough, but it did not start. I'm afraid that the engine is quite dead, Mr. Poe called out. And before long, Stefano muttered to the children, You will be too. I'm sorry, said Mr. Poe. I couldn't hear you. Stefano said, <laughs> Stefano smiled back and said, that's too bad. Well, I don't think the orphans will be back to the house. Why don't I take the orphans back to the house and you walk behind us? There isn't room for everyone. Mr. Poe frowned. But the children's suitcases are here. I don't want to leave them untended. Why don't you put the luggage into your car and the children and I will walk back to the house? Stefano frowned. Well, one of the children should ride with me so I don't get lost. Mr. Poe smiled. But you can see the house from right here. You won't get lost. Stefano does not want us to be alone with you, Violet said, firmly speaking up. She has been waiting for the proper moment to make her case. He's afraid that he will tell you who he really is and what he's really up to. What is she talking about, Mr. Poe asked Stefano. I have no idea, Mr. Toe, Stefano replied, shaking his head and looking at Violet fiercely. Violet took a deep breath. This man is not Stefano, she said, pointing at him. He's Count Olaf and he's trying to take us away. Who am I? Stefano asked. What am I doing? Mr. Poe looked at Stefano up and down and shook his head. Forgive the children, he said. They are very upset. Count Olaf is a terrible man who tried to steal their money and the youngsters are very frightened of him. Do I look like this Count Olaf? Stefano asked, eyes shining. No, you don't, said Mr. Poe. Count Olaf has one long eyebrow and a clean-shaven face. You have a beard and, if you don't mind me saying, no eyebrows at all. He shaved his eyebrow, Violet said, and he grew a beard. Anyone can see that. And he has the tattoo, Klaus said, the eye tattoo on his ankle. Look at that tattoo. Mr. Poe looked at Stefano and shrugged apologetically. I'm sorry to ask you this, he said. But the children seem so upset, and before we discuss anything further, I'd like to set their minds at ease. Would you mind showing me your ankle? I'd be happy to, said Stefano, giving, giving the children a toothy smile. Right or left? Klaus closed his eyes and thought for a second. Left, he said. Stefano placed his left foot on the bumper of Uncle Monty's Jeep, looking at the Baudelaire orphans. With his shiny, shiny eyes, he began to raise his leg of his stained, striped pants. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny, and Mr. Poe all kept their eyes on Stefano's ankle. The pant leg went up like a curtain, rising to a begin a play. But there was no tattoo of an eye. To be seen, the Baudelaire orphans stared at the patch of smooth skin as blank and as pale as Uncle Monty's face. Pippi, are you asleep? Well, <clears throat> nothing new, but we got ditched again. She is sleepy night-night. All right, one chapter tonight. Bye.